You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. In the early 1900s, a policeman was walking his beat in downtown Chicago when he noticed a, a man uh, standing next to a little mission. He had removed his hat, and the officer thought, uh, you know, there's something might be something wrong. So thinking that he might be drunk or sick, he started approaching the man. He noticed that uh, the man uh, closed his eyes, and so he went up and he nudged him and asked him, hey, are you okay or are you, are you sick? And the man looked up and smiled and he said, uh, no, sir, my name is Billy Sunday. I was converted to Christ right here at this mission, and I never pass this way without taking the opportunity, if possible, to stand quietly before my Lord and whisper a thanksgiving prayer. As we head into the Thanksgiving service, as we head into Thanksgiving this week, um, I thought it would be appropriate to be directing our thoughts to the whole idea of thanksgiving and gratitude. Thankfulness is mentioned 73 times uh, in the New Testament and 20 times in, in just the, the Gospels. All over the Bible, we read about how important um, being thankful is. It commands us over and over again to be thankful. In fact, in Psalm 105, it says, Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Psalm 136, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. First Thess 5, 18 Give thanks in all circumstances. Notice he says not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then in Ephesians 5.20 says, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We could probably summarize these verses with this principle. It's God's will for us to give thanks always and for everything, and in all circumstances. Does this mean we're to give thanks to God for evil? Well, no, because evil does not come from God, and we should never thank him for it. But when evil does strike, we can be thankful of God's presence in the midst of it, and the good that he will accomplish through it. You know, our joys, our prayers, and thankfulness should not fluctuate with our circumstances or feelings. For God is able to take any circumstance that Satan or even other uh, people might bring that they intend for evil, and he's able to redeem it for our good. Does this mean we're to give thanks for all our problems? No, um, we're not to give thanks for our problems, but we're to give thanks for the strength and the character that God is building in us through the difficult problems we face. You know, Paul in the first in Second Corinthians says this. He says, So to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away, but each time he said, My grace is, is all you need. My power works best in weakness. 
So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships, the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, God chose not to remove Paul's thorn in the flesh. In God's eyes, the benefits of Paul's suffering outweighed the cost of it. You know, in our scripture reading today, it records the account of 10 men who all had infectious skin diseases, commonly translated as leprosy. This story is, really, is unique to Luke. It's not found in any of the other gospels. Leprosy in biblical times was a terrible, yet a common uh, thing. Well, it may dis- have been described today as Hansen's disease, the word probably included a lot of other skin diseases as well. Whatever it was, once a person caught it, it was considered incurable, and those that were diagnosed with leprosy were banned from society. Let's look at verse 11. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. This journey that includes passing along between Samaria and Galilee is a continuation that started in chapter 9, verse 51, in which Jesus now is moving resolutely towards his death, his burial, and resurrection that's going to happen in, in Jerusalem. The exact location where Jesus is right now is not known, but, but we know that Jesus was near the border of Samaria, and that kind of accounts for a Samaritan being one of the lepers that we'll see later in the text. Since this journey was not a, a common route on, his, on, on your way to Jerusalem, it appears that this encounter with the lepers was intentional. For there's nothing ever accidental or coincidental when it comes to Jesus. And this is just a reminder for us that God is sovereign and he's always working to accomplish his purposes in each of our lives. Whatever your circumstances may be. Look at verse 12. And as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Now Luke doesn't tell us much about these men. We don't know what towns they were from. We don't know if they had wives, if they had children. We don't know how advanced the disease was with them. We don't even know their names. But this awful disease completely defined their identity. They had all one thing in common. They were all outcast lepers. What is leprosy? Leprosy is a horrible, disfiguring disease caused by bacteria that causes skin sores and then nerve damage and muscle weakness. It generally gets worse over time. Leprosy begins by getting little specks on your eyelids and then on the palm of your hands. And then it starts spreading all over your body. It bleaches your hair white and then it casts kind of a death-like white color over your skin with crusty uh, scales and then erupting with uh, uh, oozing sores. Here are a couple images of people with leprosy. And that's just what happens on the surface. Penetrating the skin of the disease is like a moth. It eats away at the network of peripheral nerves woven throughout your body's tissues. Soon the body becomes numb to the point of sensory deprivation, numb to both pleasure and pain. For example, if you break a toe, 
Um, one by one, your appendages, the, uh, the leper, uh, it begins to suffer um, because they're not able to feel the, the pain of the, of, of the breaks because of the nerves have gone bad. And, uh, and one by one, they start losing one appendage after another. Many people in biblical times viewed leprosy not as just a disease, but a curse from God for the sins they committed. In fact, those with leprosy uh, were so despised and loathed that they were not even allowed to live in the community with their own people. In fact, in Leviticus 13, it says, if a person was found to be infected, the leprous person who had the disease shall wear torn clothes and they have to let their hair hang, uh, the hair of their head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. And if he's unclean, he shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. A leper was not allowed to come within six feet of anybody, including his own family. As he passed, he would be shunned. Little children would often run away. Older ones would shoo him away with stones. Adults would walk on the other side of the street, mutter a prayer under their breath, shake their heads in disgust, or simply just look the other way. Lepers can't have much social contact with the clean, and so they were known as their own society, the society of the unclean or the untouchables. Lepers not only live with the horror of the disease, but also with its shame and guilt. A leper's life was one of isolation. Like the disease, the isolation progresses gradually, but completely. Then the closer, so what happens first is their peripheral friends begin to drop, drop out of sight. And then their closer uh, uh, friends get smaller and smaller until they stop coming. Finally, you're only left with the immediate family, and their visits become less and less, so finally they uh, hardly ever come at all unless they go to provide food. But not only is a leper's life uh, filled with isolation, but it's also filled with loneliness. In the colony where they live, they live without love, without hope, without joys and dignities of life, like uh, being smiled at, being greeted on the street, getting to go to work, or operating a business, or haggling over prices at the marketplace, or even getting a wedding to, uh, invitation to a wedding, or singing hymns in the synagogue, or being able to celebrate Passover with their family. All these things were barred from them forever. In their sleep, they would dream of times when people loved them, touched them. But when they wake up, they wake up to reality and realize it was just a dream. But this day, something's different. They hear Jesus is coming through, and they go out to meet him. And in verse 13, it says, they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These uh, lepers immediately notice Jesus and call out master, which is a term for teacher or rabbi. How do these men know about Jesus? Well, we really don't know, but we know in Jesus' earlier ministry that he had healed some lepers, 
And uh, in, in Luke 5, in 12 to 15, in verse 15 says, And the news about Jesus spread even more. Many people came to hear Jesus and to be healed of their sicknesses. I want you to notice here that uh, the lepers don't ask Jesus to be healed. They just ask for his mercy. And whatever Jesus might give them, whether it's food or clothing or shelter, but they know he's a, a person of compassion. And so they're really not expecting, as far as we know from the text says, to be healed. And this brings us to our first principle. God always hears and takes notice when we cry out to him for mercy. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, um, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Look at verse 14. When when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. In the earlier incident in Luke 5, Jesus cleansed the leper and then he sent the, uh, the leper to the priest. In this case, he just sends them to the priest first without any type of healing. Well, why must they go and show themselves to the priests? Well, God had given the Israelites very specific instructions in Leviticus 13 and 14, actually 116 verses on how to deal with leprosy and other skin diseases. Anyone suspected of having this disease had to go to the priest for examination. And then the priest would then determine whether it was contagious or not and whether he was to be declared ceremonial and unclean. They had the, the priest had the responsibility to see that the holiness was maintained in the camps. And these laws helped the, the priests detect the disease in the early stages so that prevent it from spreading to others around them. And the priests lived in villages together, and there were all kinds of priest villages in the Palestine area. Why did Jesus go and tell the lepers to go show themselves to the priests? Well, scholars believe there were three reasons. The first was just to test their faith to see whether they would believe his words. You know, Hebrews 11 says, without faith, no one can please God. Anyone who come to God must believe that he's real and that he rewards those who truly seek him or want to find him. The second reason is to help them get integrated back to their families and society. And the third reason is to help provide an opportunity for them to tell the priests and others what Jesus had done for them. You know, if one of the lepers came to the priest, that's one thing. But if you have 10 coming to him, all being healed, that's an incredible thing. And the word about Jesus would get out very quickly. Look at verse... Uh, um, um, oh, I wanted to say one other thing. What's interesting, too, is that uh, if you were one of the lepers, it's kind of like, what do you mean go to the priest? You know, are you making fun of us? Or, you know, are you just telling us to leave like everybody else? But then they had to think, well, we only go to the priest when we've been healed, so maybe we'll get healed along the way. And so they kind of took Jesus at his word, and they started going to where he was. And um, uh, Jesus did not touch these men or even speak words like he did to other people. This time he simply just gave them the command to go. Verse 14, and as they went, they were cleansed. The word cleansed here in the Greek is in the aorist tense, which signifies 
uh, action at a single point in time rather than an action over a period of time. So Luke doesn't really tell us how long they walked before they were healed or how they even discovered that they were healed. But it was probably sudden and immediate. And, you know, faith isn't a matter of the theology that you know or even how you feel. And in this instance, faith is a decision to do what Jesus tells you to do and, and believe that good things will happen. Can you imagine their surprise when they were instantly healed? Man, your face is clear. What? Um, man, your sores are gone. The skin on your hands are soft. In fact, your fingers have grown back. Uh, you know, I don't know if they start giving high fives to one another or they start doing a holy dance, but uh, they are obviously thrilled to be healed and to get their lives back. Had they disbelieved Jesus and just laughed, they would have never been healed. Faith is always active and it's exhibited by what we do. As Jesus' brother James says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And because they all demonstrated faith in Jesus' words, all 10 of them were physically healed. Look at verse 15. Then one of them when he saw that it was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. I think we can all understand their joy and excitement of these 10 men. But what we can't understand is why only one returned. Apparently, he stops on his way, on his way to see the priests, and he realizes what's actually occurred and that Jesus was God's instrument for the healing. And so he stops and he turns around and starts going back. Notice the shouting in a loud voice of this cleansed leper. You know, the, the lepers earlier called out loudly together, have mercy on us. But only this leper returns to offer the loud thanksgiving and praise. Verse 16, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Luke tells us when he returned, he praised God with a loud voice and he threw him at his feet in humility and thanked him. His body language and words were the epitome of thanksgiving and worship. And Jesus receives his thanks very graciously. The thankful leper may not know that Jesus is the Messiah, but he credits Jesus as being God's instrument for, the, for the, his healing. He took the time to go back and express his thanks that, to the person that helped him to move forward in his life. Luke mentioned special mention that, he was, that the, the person that returned was a Samaritan. And this also infers that the other nine were Jewish, uh, of Jewish descent and probably coming from Galilee. Jewish had no dealings with the Samaritans and Samaritans had no dealing uh, with the Jews. They hated one another. And uh, as we see in the story of the Good Samaritan, what's interesting here is that we see nine Jewish lepers and one leper here, they're united by one common misery, leprosy. You know, when, when things get that miserable, you forget about the things that uh, hold, hold you apart and the things that keep you divided. But God's grace and mercy is for everyone, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. 
In response to the Samaritan healing, Jesus asks now three questions, two of them in the next verse. He says, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Having an attitude of gratitude doesn't come naturally. Being thankful can be difficult, particularly if you're undergoing all difficult circumstances. You know, instead of rushing to see the priest or rushing home to see his family and friends, the Samaritan returned to Jesus, and he turned his gratitude for what Jesus had done into thanksgiving. Jesus seems to express disappointment that the other nine did not come back with him. How could the other nine be so ungrateful that they, would not, that they would just go on their merry way? Jesus just gave them their life back, their family back, their careers back, their future back. He gave them more than they'll ever receive again. But all nine of them go on their merry way, and only one was a returner. Do you think we would think of this story as a, as a story of ingratitude if the one hadn't returned? We wouldn't have. Because when you read the other accounts of Jesus' life, he heals a lot of people, but only very few, if any, come back to say thank you. People do, um, because, well, um, they do what we do. We take our toy and we run. These nine lepers receive healing and never think about going back because life is always about moving forward, isn't it? With new energy and new passion. And you almost can't blame them. They haven't been embraced by a family member in a long time or embraced by their children. Of course they want to be move, move forward. And if, but you know what? If we were to chase those nine down on their way to the priest and we were to ask them, are you grateful that Jesus healed you? What do you think they'd say? Yeah, of course, we're grateful. Man, now we can go back and tell our families, the priests, everyone. In fact, for the rest of our lives, we're going we're gonna to be grateful. We're gonna, it'll be, Jesus will be in this story. Man, our hearts are overflowing with gratitude. We're feeling very, very grateful. They may have met well, but unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude, a form of rejection. Moms know about this. This coming Thursday, a lot of them are going to be cooking, but other times they, they go to the store, they get their family's favorite food, and they go hard at work in the kitchen making their favorite meal. And uh, bacon bread and all those different things, and then it's time for dinner time, and they, they call the family to come, and nobody comes. Uh, you, they call it, she calls them again and again, and finally they come. They, they come, they sit down, they eat, they eat a lot, and they eat it very fast. And then, uh, then they all ask to be excused so they can go back to, to their TV program or to their computer. One by one, they get up from the table, uh, none of them really understanding the work that went into the meal. If you were to pause and ask them, you know, do you appreciate your mom? Do you appreciate your wife? Ah, oh, they'd say, oh, yeah, high-five, Mom, you know, you're the best. And, uh, but again, unexpressed words, unexpressed thoughts, unexpressed feelings make her feel 
rejected. And then as husbands, we do the dumbest thing sometimes. We go into the kitchen, we notice something is wrong, and we go up, uh, honey, what's wrong? And we're hoping that the knives haven't been sharpened that week. Uh, we have no idea, you know, how, how she's feeling, and by not expressing anything, we're communicating her to her rejection. And, well, that's way too convicting for me. Let's go on to the next question Jesus asks. Verse 18, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You know, even though Jesus did not withhold healing from the nine who did not thank him, he made a point of noting their lack of gratefulness. You know, God never forces us to thank him, but he's always pleased when we do so. You know, if I was to talk to some of you in private, you would tell me about an ongoing relationship that used to be warm and full of life, full of emotion, full of passion, but it's been shut down over time because the person that you feel closest to has sent the signal that they no longer appreciate you. They don't show gratitude towards you. And because of their ingratitude, you don't feel very generous when it comes to time and involvement and emotional support that they expect from you. And the worst part is we never really know what's going on because we all think that we are grateful. You know, we can see ungratefulness in all kinds of other different people, but we don't see it in ourselves. Over time, unexpressed gratitude or ingratitude drives people's hearts out of the relationship. And if there's somebody on the other side of that relationship that is expressing gratitude and thanks, that is where the heart will go. Why? Because our hearts always gravitate towards that kind of gratitude. And that leads us to our fourth principle. Ingratitude over time can shut down an entire relationship. Verse 19, And then he said to them, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, it says it saved you. This passage hints at the fact that Jesus offers this cleansed man something more than the other nine. They all received healing, but this Samaritan receives something deeper. He receives an explanation as to what made him well, what saved him. His return to fall at Jesus' feet gave him not only physical wholeness in his body, but also spiritual wholeness in his soul. Unlike the other nine, this man heard from Jesus that he was made well because of his faith. And that's our next principle. Expressed gratitude generates generosity. When you've been, when you've been generous to somebody and they've been grateful, how does that make you feel? Well, it makes you want to go out and be even more generous to them. But when you've been generous to, to someone and they are not grateful, how does that make you feel? Well, it makes you, not, it makes you shut down. You really don't want to do anything more for them. Um, I, have you ever noticed if, you, if you've ever been um, to a homeless shelter or uh, been part of charity work and, and uh, um, how grateful um, a lot of those people are and as they show their gratefulness, you want to go out and even show uh, even more grateful. But to those that 
again, show no gratefulness or they feel like they're entitled or you, they feel like you owe them, uh, you, it kind of shuts you down to want to really help them anymore. And, and that's a natural reaction because expressed gratitude generates generosity. Well, so far we've learned that it's God's will to give thanks always for everything and in all circumstances. That God always hears and takes notice when we cry out to him for mercy. That unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude, a form of rejection. And ingratitude over time can shut down relationships. And expressed gratitude generates generosity. The last principle is this. God wants us to be returners. A returner is someone who is willing to go back and thank those who have enabled them to go forward. These are the people who have loved us, cared for us, mentored us, provided jobs, education, and opportunities for us. There are dozens and dozens of people in our past that without their help, we wouldn't be where we are today. That was the case of the 10 lepers. None of the 10 would have been able to move forward without uh, the help of Jesus healing them. But only one was a returner. Only one went back to give thanks to the person that enabled him to move forward. You know, thankfulness is an expression of gratitude. Instead of rushing to see the priest or rushing home to see his family, this Samaritan returned to Jesus and turned his gratitude into thanksgiving. Some of you may be in a difficult uh, place today. You may be worried about uh, your children or your grandchildren. You may be in a troubled marriage. You may be worried about your finances. You may be worried about your health or the health of someone close to you. But whatever your, your difficulties are that you're going through, all of us can sit down and without any difficulty make a list of the people we are grateful for. Is there somebody out there that you owe a debt of gratitude to? This is your chance to be a returner. Who do you owe some gratitude to? Are you willing to be the one who takes the time to go back and say out loud what's already in your heart? To say out loud what you've thought through a thousand times? And to say out loud what you've been too busy to say because you're always moving forward? I want to challenge you that when you get into your car to go home today, before you crank the key, reach over and look into the person's eyes, take a deep breath and say thank you and then fill in the blank for what you're thankful for. The first Thanksgiving celebration in America was held in November 1621 at the Plymouth Plantation in Massachusetts. Those who came to this land were guided by the conviction that it was important to give thanks to God for his abundant blessings, even though half of their number had died due to various tragedies. People who are grateful find God's blessing embodied in everyday life, even when life is hard. Let's be the kind of people, God, we were created to be grateful. Let's be returners. In just a moment, we're going to do communion. The breaking of bread in the New Testament was done as an act of thanksgiving, as a sign that we're all part of one body through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Um, as we partake in just a moment, I've asked Melissa 
to come and sing a song that captures, I believe, the heart of this leper that returned to give thanks for Jesus. And uh, may the words of this song capture your heart as well.